Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the Box of Oddities. A couple of episodes ago, I think it was Box 443, I was talking about the kidnapping and murder case that uh, involved... Baby Holly and how she disappeared. Oh, the Romeo and Juliet cold case. Right. Correct. And at the end of it, you said something like, I'm happy for you, Holly, because she was found 40 years later and she's fine and and uh, you hope that she was doing well. Yeah. Got an email from Sebastian and he said, hey, Kat and JG, have a, my very own boo effect today. Yay. While listening to Box 443, I just moved and got a new job. One of my coworkers is Holly. Yeah, investigators came to see her my second day there. So he was there when the investigators found her. That's frigging incredible. She came and told us about what happened when she was a kid. A lot of the stuff that you said during the podcast was just like what she said. Nothing that cool has ever happened in a break room that I've ever been in. No kidding. Usually they're just stealing my cake. Um, He goes on to say she was dropped off at a church as a baby. Apparently, the church was told by the robed people that her parents were going to Waco, Texas, and that the church would be getting their car. Uh, You guys were wondering a bit about her today, and she is one of the sweetest people I have ever met, and she hasn't let this slow her down one bit from what I see. Anyway, thank you for the great job that y'all do, and keep flying that freak flag. Oh my goodness. You know... That is just amazing. We're so happy to hear this. I I can't even... I, <laughs> As we've said numerous times, it always blows our mind when we do a story or talk about a subject, and then somebody directly related to it, or somebody who knows someone who is, reaches out and says, yeah, that's my coworker. Yeah. But this is, I think, the most amazing example of that ever. Absolutely incredible. Also, uh, a great reminder to examine your life and determine, am I in a cult? <laughs> Maybe fix that. Yeah. You got a story for me today? I do. 
better be good. Oh, I'm hoping so. <laughs> I like to encourage you through threats. Yeah, that always works so well. Yeah. Came across an old newspaper article. And in this article, in the Des Moines Daily News, dated October 3rd, 1903, comes a very strange tale of strange things that had been happening in the small town of Van Meter, Iowa. Very strange things indeed. Not only was this bizarre story documented in the newspaper, but the information cited came from some of the most uh, reputable and respected citizens in Van Meter at the time. It seems... Over the span of several days and nights in the fall of 1903, a strange creature was repeatedly sighted in town by many of the townsfolk, including the aforementioned prominent citizens. So one night in the fall of 1903, this strange creature made its first appearance. It was reported to have appeared to be, quote, humanoid, but some of its features could only be described as animal-like. One witness called it half-human, half-animal. It was described as having enormous, smooth, bat-like wings and that it was spotted flying about, gliding between rooftops and trees. Mm, I don't know. I know immediately you're, you're thinking uh, Mothman. I know. That's the one thing that really freaks you out. Um, there was no comparison drawn to Mothman oh, okay. in, in any of the information okay. that I saw. Fine. This guy's fine then. But uh, it was about the size of a, of a person, a regular height person. Like uh, Jeepers Creepers? Like that guy? Yeah, kind of like that guy. People were also extremely alarmed at the speed in which this creature moved. Witnesses are quoted in the article as saying that they have never seen anything, machine nor creature, move so quickly. It was also said that whenever the creature appeared, it brought with it a horrible rotting stench. Oh, no. Now, if that's not weird enough, it gets even weirder. On its head was some sort of a horn, And it seemed to be able to shoot out a blinding light from its horned head. Wow. Yeah. So it's like some sort of unicorn mothman in need of some deodorant? Maybe. Certainly ticks all the boxes. That's why I love native. So many great scents, no cryptids. You don't want to smell like a bat-winged demon. (laughs) So needless to say... This terrified the good people of Van Meter, Iowa, back in 1903. As should aluminum in your body products. (laughs) Okay, I'm done, I swear. The creature was spotted several times over the next few days, and each time the creature was fired upon by weaponry. Oh, yeah. so they don't know what it is, but they're shooting at it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, I remember as a kid hearing a story about a UFO uh, sighting in Bangor, Maine, it was in the, in the Bangor Daily News. Really? And it was uh, a guy saw it out in the woods somewhere, and his first reaction was to take the revolver from his glove box and fire at it. <laughs> and I remember thinking, even as a kid, that's dumb. That's not right. You know, first of all, you don't know what it is. Secondly, if it is an alien, it has the technology to bring it from some other galaxy or some other universe. Probably their weaponry far excels your snub nose 38. Right. I just think like the basic rule of shooting at things is know what you're shooting at. The first person to fire at this creature was a man named U.G. Griffith, who was an implement dealer in town. 
He saw it flying across uh, building tops. He said he fired his rifle and was positive that he hit the creature, but the creature seemed to just shrug it off as a minor annoyance. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. Kind of like uh, eyewitness stories of things that have happened on Skinwalker Ranch. Oh, yeah. They don't seem to be phased too much by our weaponry. It then disappeared into the night. The following night, the creature was spotted by none other than the town doctor and the town banker, whose name was Peter Dunn. These were two separate sightings. Both said they opened fire and from very close range. It didn't even slow the creature down, they said. After the creature disappeared, Peter Dunn ran to the area that he saw the creature standing to investigate and found giant three-toed tracks in the mud. Dunn proceeded to make plaster casts of these tracks. On the third night, a man named O.V. White. I love how everybody just uses their first initials in the story. (laughs) He was asleep in his quarters. He lived above his hardware store when he was awakened by a sound. It was said that Mr. White was the best shot in town. He looked out his upstairs window and he saw the creature and it seemed to be perched on top of a telegraph pole. Also sleeping in the store was a man named Sidney Gregg. He was awakened when he heard White loading his rifle and went to see what the commotion was. Mr. White carefully aimed his rifle and squeezed off a couple of rounds at the creature. Again, the creature, whatever it was, didn't seem to be harmed in any way, just kind of glided down to the ground. Mr. Gregg said the monster then appeared to hop like a kangaroo until it was out of sight. There's a lot going on here. Ooh, it was a busy week. Right. In Van Meter. That same night, it was spotted again, this time by the local high school teacher. He called it some sort of an antediluvian monster. As antediluvian? You, yeah. Pre-biblical flood type creature. Oh, got it. As you can imagine, by this time, the townspeople were pretty freaked out. So what do freaked out townsfolk at the turn of the 20th century do? Well... Shoot it stuff! Yep, and they formed a posse. Yep. To do it. I picture, like, the townsfolk in blazing saddles (laughs) in this story. N.O. Pratt Jr. had seen the creature disappear near an old brickyard and had heard the creature down inside what was an abandoned coal mine nearby. And the creature was witnessed going into that coal mine. Are we sure that Jeepers Creepers isn't based on this story? It might be. Because doesn't he hang in a coal mine? I don't know. It's been a long time since I've seen that dumb movie. I I have to be honest. I don't know if I've seen it all the way through. I've seen clips of it. I mean, I don't. Yeah. I do not advise it. It's terrible. According to this article in the Des Moines Daily News from 1903, a witness said, quote, Presently, the noise opened up again, as though Satan and a regiment of his imps were coming forth for battle. Oh. It was at this point that the creature reappeared at the mouth of the coal mine, this time joined by another one that was slightly smaller. Maybe it was its baby. Aw, baby cryptid. It was said that they both flew away in what was described as a brilliant light. The people went back into town to reorganize. They gathered all the men that they could who owned firearms to, quote, rid the earth of these creatures. And it was said that they gathered quite a lot of firepower. The article said, quote, the reception the creatures received would have sunk the Spanish fleet 
But aside from unearthly noise and a peculiar odor, they did not seem to mind it, but slowly descended the shaft of the old mine. And as the story goes, that was the last time that they were seen. Interesting. Over the years, it seems the legend was starting to die out. Only people, the only people that ever talked about it anymore were some of the older town folks who were told the story by their parents or grandparents. A guy named Chad Lewis, who researches odd legends, decided he was going to camp out at the old coal mine a, a number of years ago, hoping to catch a glimpse or find a clue of what this alleged creature might have been. Okay. His overnight camping trip left him empty-handed, but as he roamed about the town of Van Meter, he was able to document the story from old-timers as well as research in the archives, and that's when he discovered the 1903 newspaper article. He said what struck him was that the men who were quoted as witnessing these events were very prominent men in town. They weren't town drunks. They weren't people who were looking for this type of publicity. Mm -hmm. In fact, they probably would have tried to avoid it. He got some help in his research by Jolene Walker, the local librarian who was able to find the legend had survived for generations inside the town's centennial book. She said, quote, old timers remember it though their opinions of its authenticity vary. Walker went on to say regarding the eyewitness accounts, quote, these guys wouldn't have wanted that kind of publicity. That kind of reminds me of the uh, UFO sightings where the Navy got, no, not Navy, where the Air Force guys were the ones who were saying, like, no, we saw this. Yeah. And why would Air Force guys risk their careers and their lives right. to, yeah, okay. Same premise. The librarian said she even drove the gravel road out to the abandoned brick plant after she met with Lewis where that cave or coal mine is located. She said, quote, I never want to go out there again. I'll tell you that. I tried to back up the car, but I didn't know if it was loose gravel or what, but I couldn't back up right away. I was thinking, what is going on? I'm getting out of here. Other people who have explored the abandoned brickworks and the adjacent coal mine say that they get a strange feeling when they're there, as if they're being watched by an unseen presence. And occasionally, it's said, that a horrific rotting stench can be smelled if you step just inside the mine shaft. Ooh. My information came from the Des Moines Register, the Des Moines Daily News, Cool Interesting Stuff, and Discovery.com. Most people call this creature Monster. And they have a festival, of course, because you always try to capitalize on this sort of thing. Of course you do. But the researcher, Chad Lewis, calls it the visitor because oh. we don't know what it was. If it was anything, it could have just been a strange, unknown creature. Right. Not everything that we don't understand is a monster. Case in point, at the exact same time that this story happened, giant gorillas had been discovered. And up until that point... They had just been stories of these giant, hairy men in the jungles. Right. But it was at that time that they verified beyond a shadow of a doubt that these were actual animals and not some weird cryptid. But isn't a cryptid just an animal that we don't know anything about? Though I suppose oftentimes cryptids are associated with some sort of supernatural power. Though, I mean, not always. What is the definition of a cryptid? 
animals that are that cryptozoologists believe may exist somewhere in the wild, but are not believed to exist by mainstream science. Oh, that's very vague. And I found an artist's rendition based on the description from the uh, witnesses in the newspaper article. Let me show you. Oh, geez. Yeah, it's creepy, isn't it? Okay, that's not what I pictured at all. Yeah, it looks like a combination of a giant bat and a dinosaur with a laser beam being shot out of its forehead. It's very pterodactyly. Pterodactyly. <laughs> it's like a pterodactyl with frickin' lasers. The Box of Oddities with Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids, and they live about 3,000 miles away, and my daughter is expecting a child, and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life... Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout, and you will save. Thanks, Aura Frames, for bringing my family a little bit closer. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some Fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores, and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? <sighs> Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. 
And now, that thing in the middle. As hard as it may be to believe, McDonald's didn't open its first drive-through window until 1975. It happened in Sierra Vista, Arizona. This particular McDonald's location was close to a military installation called Fort Huachuca. Fort Huachuca forbid military members to exit their vehicles off post while wearing combat uniforms. McDonald's solution? Open a window and pass the food to the military members still in their cars. We got a message from Justin on Instagram. Bull effect! I live in Elk County, Pennsylvania, and I'm at work listening to my podcast on my speakers while a co-worker has the radio playing. JG just said he worked for B94 in Pittsburgh. And <laughs> what station is playing on the radio? B94. Wow. I dropped everything to hurry up and send this message. Back to work. Thanks for what you guys do, and I love the shallow end. <laughs> <laughs> That's delightful. Yeah. Thank you. And if you haven't had a chance to check out our newest podcast, The Shallow End with Schnebly and Toth, the link is in the show notes for this episode of Box of Oddities. Rory sent this. Hi, Kat and JG. Love yuns. Oh, they're from Pennsylvania. They must be from the Pittsburgh area. Um, I had a dream that my boyfriend graciously donated his nether bits to someone who was in an accident. And he was smooth as a Ken doll down there. As a result, and for some other reason, after discovering this, I was in your home. You two seemed to know and pitied me as I was sobbing about the loss. And after I composed myself, there was a commercial on TV about sausage, and it made me cry again. Oh, no. Thanks for being such nice friends in my dreams. P.S. One of your doggies was there. Thanks for the pug snorts. (laughs) Amazing. Thanks, Rory. I love the idea that even though we haven't had the chance to meet you, y'all let us into your brains at night. This comes from the Freaks group on Facebook. Jessica says, okay, I have to share my story on today's episode of The Shallow End, again, with uh, Schnebly and Toth. Jethro was talking about cars exploding from aerosol spray cans. Well, a while back, I had a work bag that I kept my headset, I'm a customer service rep, and other miscellaneous things that I need for work. That included a can of air duster. I left the bag in my car, and the temperature in the car got so hot it caused the can to explode, completely annihilating my bag, mangled my headset. There was shrapnel in the top lining of the roof, and it blew off the CD player cover and the passenger door panel. (laughs) Luckily, no one was in the car because it probably would have been really, really bad. Lesson learned, though, they aren't kidding when they tell you not to leave aerosol spray cans in your car if it gets too hot. That's a good lesson to keep in mind this time of year. Yeah. God, we got in the car the other day. We were coming back from uh, Hollywood Studios in Orlando, and it was like 103 in the parking lot. Yeah, it was uh, was cuckoo. And the birds that I tried to give a plate of water to (laughs) kept flying away from me. Mm -hmm. And it was like, listen... We all know it's hot. Like, why can't you just get my vibe and accept this plate of water? Well, you were trying to coax them out from under a forerunner, and it was cool under there, probably. Well, I was putting the plate under the forerunner. Oh, I it's see. It's just they kept scootling out. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Yeah, 103 degrees. Wow. Also, cat's not obsessed with birds. Um, I did find an exploded can of margarita mix in our cupboard. So, I mean, is that a boo effect? It's just sticky. I know that. We still have to clean that. 
Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Look at you. You're on your first date with someone you met through this podcast. Keep your hands where we can see them. We're honored to be your wingman at The Box of Oddities. All right, lady, what you got for me? Anne Hodges and her husband rented a house in Oak Grove Community in Alabama. It's November 30th, 1954, and 34-year-old Anne is at home with her mother. They're just chillaxing, and she's having a little nap. She's got an afghan on her sofa, and she's all covered up with, I assume that it looks like the one on Roseanne, oh, you the, know. The, with the little with the flower, knitted flower. Floral, yeah, yeah, right. Those, you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I have no idea what her blanket looked like, but that's what I picture. So... Anne's having a snoozle on her couch when suddenly there arose such a clatter. I'm thrilled that I got to use that phrase because usually it's only once a year or so I get to use it. Well done. In moments, the house was engulfed in a cloud of dust and Anne was in pain. She'd been hit by something. So the dust started to settle and Anne and her mother spotted a rock in their home. A doctor and the police were called to the home and the insider article that I read said that the mayor showed up with the police chief and they discovered a hole in the ceiling where the rock had crashed through. Why would the mayor uh, come to the house? I don't know. It's a big deal. I guess there's not a lot going on in Oak Grove in 1954. All right. Fair enough. But uh, the idea that the, the men showed up and discovered the hole in the ceiling, like the women hadn't thought to look up (laughs) is just like, Uh, mm, I don't know. Well, again, it was the 50s. Sure. So then a local geologist was called to the scene to determine what had Anne been struck by. Turns out it was a meteorite. Holy shit. No, just for a moment, let's (laughs) pause and think about that. Mm -hmm. This meteorite has been bouncing around in the universe mm. for billions of years, probably. And yet, billions. at the end of its journey, it singles out this poor woman mm-hmm. in Oak Grove. Is that the name of the place? <laughs> okay. Well done. 
What are the odds <laughs> of that? Yeah. The meteorite lit up the sky in parts of Alabama, Georgia, and Mississippi. Hodge's neighbors reported seeing a bright reddish light crossing the sky like a Roman candle trailing smoke. The space debris then made its way into Anne Hodge's home and attacked her after first ricocheting off her console radio. Wow. So, as you can imagine... It was a bank shot. <laughs> As well. Yep. Word quickly spread about what had happened. And when Anne's husband returned home from work, he found a crowd of people at his home. Anne told the Associated Press, we had a little excitement around here today. <laughs> Hodges was soon hospitalized, though. And despite the fact that she had a massive mark on her side, she wasn't seriously injured. That's crazy. That Afghan must have had some kind of magical protective power. I agree. Was it a flak Afghan? The rock was the Silicaga meteorite. Estimated to be about 4.5 billion years old. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Upon the entry into the atmosphere, the meteorite fragmented into at least three pieces. One fragment is believed to have impacted somewhere near Childersburg. The McKinney fragment, which was found the next day on a nearby farm, and this piece now dubbed the Hodges fragment after the lady that it attacked. Now, most meteorites found by humans on Earth are in the range of size between a golf ball-ish right. and fist-ish. Mm -hmm. The Hodges chunk looks to be about the size of a Chipotle burrito. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, moving at approximately 200 kilometers per hour or 120 miles per hour, Hodge's meteor would have slowed a bit as it came through the atmosphere, which worked out really well for Anne, and then crashed through the roof, which again lessened the impact. And then it first hit the radio. <laughs> All good news for Anne's hip. Don't, don't forget about the Afghan. And the Afghan. Which I think the fact that you put an extra vowel sound in there is really interesting. Afghan. I'm not saying it's wrong. I just I just think it's interesting. It's one of your many quirks that I find endearing. <laughs> Mary Beth Prozinski, the collections manager at the Alabama Museum of Natural History, where the meteorite is now on exhibit, said, If Anne had been lying under the radio, it would have broken her leg or her back. Which I think is a weird way to put that. Yeah, like, right. You could have said you could have said if, if, it, if had, it had hit you directly, right? Or if it had been like two feet over, or you know, in, but in no. Oak Grove, flying under one's radio is a common practice. Is it apparently? I don't know. So Anne Hodges became a bit of a celebrity. At first, she was really uncomfortable with that, but you know how it goes. If you see an opportunity, sometimes you just gotta seize it. So she had a bunch of photo shoots. She appeared on the cover of Life's Magazine in 1954. Uh, in December, with an article entitled, A Big Bruiser from the Sky. <laughs> she was also invited to go to New York City to be on Gary Moore's show, I've Got a Secret, where the panel had to guess what it was that made her a notable figure. Interesting. Do you remember that show? I do remember that show. Gary Moore also hosted uh, To Tell the Truth, which was a very popular but They're game pretty show. similar very, shows, Very right? similar, yeah. Very similar. I always thought they were so weird, though, because everyone always wears gray on those shows. And well, it's, it's just, just because it's bl in black and white, sweetie. They didn't have color TVs widely available at the time. And it was cost prohibitive for many television studios to shoot in color. Oh, my God. Anyway, now, of course, at this time in history, 
Americans were a little skittish about things coming from the sky, right? Sure. Uh, there was concern about nuclear war. Uh, there were uh, rumors of flying saucers. Not everyone believed that this was a meteorite. So the Air Force took custody of this object to verify that it was indeed a meteorite. Well, meteorites are valuable. Did she get it back? Because- I'm getting there. Okay. All right. When it was time to return it, who to return it to? Well, it's not as if the government would ever steal anything from anybody. Right. So she got it back, right? Well, Bertie Guy, the Hodges' landlord, thought that the meteorite should be returned to her Hmm. because it smashed through her roof. Well, she's got a case there. Ann Hodges said, I think God intended for me to have it. After all, it hit me. (laughs) The case was eventually settled out of court with Guy getting $500 to let Ann Hodges keep the meteorite. Unfortunately, this court case lasted a bit. So by the time it was settled, the sheen had kind of gone from the event and the couple was unable to find a buyer for the meteorite. So the family used it as a doorstop for a while before donating it to the Alabama Museum of Natural History. With the uh, understanding that the Alabama Museum of Natural History would cover their legal fees from the gotcha. case. Okay. Meanwhile, Julius Kempis McKinney, who discovered the fragment on the nearby farm mm-hmm. while driving a mule-drawn wagon, sold the one he found for enough money to buy a house and a car. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And he didn't even have to get hit by it. Nope. Get himself a new team of mules. That chunk, by the way, can be found now in Smithsonian's National Museum of Natural History. We might have seen the McKinney farm chunk. I can't wait to go back to the Smithsonian. I know. Last two times we were in D.C., the museums were closed because of the pandemic. I'm just saying we were going to go on a cruise for our anniversary and we canceled it because things are all up in the air and kind of weird right now. And um, I I stress out easily. Um, But, you know, maybe a little tootle to D.C. (laughs) wouldn't be a terrible idea just for a couple days. Not a bad idea at all. I'm just saying. We could go A little crazy with, uh, you know, we're, we're moving again to a new apartment in a few weeks. And we just now launched the new podcast, The Shallow End, and it's hard. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's a lot of work. Yeah, yeah. So when a vacation ends up being more stressful than yeah. restful, mm-hmm. what's the, what's the point? Anyway, uh, that was a bit of a tangent. Back to the meteorite. Do you need a segue to get back? <laughs> Yes, please. Because you asked people to uh, to make you a little Segway sweeper. Mm-hmm. And Sam, who lives in the UK, uh, he obliged. Segway. That was done by Sam from Bristol, UK. Oh, my gosh. He was introduced by his lovely partner, Kaylee, to the Box of Oddities and has powered through and is completely up to date on them. Well done. And, and well done on the uh, on the Segway Sweeper as I well. love it so much. You did another one. You want to hear the other one? We can wait until the next time okay. we actually have a Segway. All right. Do we need another Segway now? <laughs> I'm so excited. Anne was a pretty quiet private person. And according to Prodzinski, she didn't like having all the notoriety. And she ended up developing some pretty serious health problems. Oh, no. On top of that, the meteorite created problems between her and her husband, Eugene. 
Now, Eugene really wanted to make a lot of money off of this meteorite, and the inability to do so, I guess, made him mad. Like, I don't know hmm. exactly how you can blame one or the other for no. that. It's just, it sucks, sure, but uh, eventually their marriage collapsed. Oh, no. It turns out being struck by a meteorite wasn't great for Anne. Good news for the meteorite, though. Uh, since Anne was the only person who's ever been hit by a meteorite and lived to tell about it, the meteorite has been appraised at over a million dollars. Wow. Now, this is kind of fun. Thursday is Asteroids Day. Is it? Or Asteroid Day, I guess. And asteroid, I mean, if I understand this correctly, asteroids and meteorites are essentially the same thing, just in different spaces. So, like, an asteroid generally will hang out near the sun, but then the chunks of it that come off and make their way to Anne's hip uh, will be <laughs> meteorites. Hmm. So, I mean, I think, I'm, I think that's right. It would be amazing if we had the ability somehow to zoom out and chart the, uh, the path, the voyage. Right. That that meteorite... Like, zoom out both in space and time? Yes. Yeah, and see where it all started and, and be it, like, it started here. Yeah, and it was and zoomed then, around oh, here. And then the and Earth then, was formed. And then... And then, it, <clears throat> yep. fuck you, Anne. Yep. Yeah. Anyway, the uh, earliest claim of a human being hit by a meteorite actually comes from 1677 manuscript, which tells of a friar in Milan who was killed by one. Oh, wow. Although uh, it is disputed whether or not that is actually true because it comes from a text called Zeus Displeased. Um, so it's hard to really oh, okay. take that well, for... Zeus was cantankerous. Yeah. You know. And finally, very ironically, across from the Hodges' home was a drive-in theater called the Comet Drive-In Theater. <laughs> and it had a neon sign depicting a comet falling through the sky. With an arrow pointing to Anne's hip? Well, there was no arrow, but still, it's... I'm just it's, saying, maybe the meteorite thought it was a road sign. Right. I got most of my information from Smithsonian, from Insider, Space, and, of course, Wikipedia. That is a fascinating tale. And as you told it, I started to remember seeing a picture of her years ago. Did you come across that picture? Of... I don't know which picture you're okay, referring to. Let me to. see if I can find I it. I have seen many pictures of her. With, her. with the bruise on her thigh? I have, yes. There's one where she's laying in bed and she's yeah. kind of holding up her um, floral house dress. Mm -hmm. And yeah, is that yeah. the one that you're talking about? Right. Yeah. yeah. I think she was still lying under that afghan too. <laughs> memory serves me. No, I mean, it shows this unbelievably big, deep bruise on her uh, mm. thigh. Her yeah. Hip. Yeah. It was incredible. I got a pretty sturdy bruise the other day from bumping my arm into a door frame, um, which happens constantly because I have no concept of how much space I take up. Sure. Hopefully that doesn't lead to uh, the demise of our marriage. I hope not. Want to say uh, hello and thank you so much to our newest patrons, Jana, or uh, you said... Jana. I have a friend who lives in uh, Switzerland. And she spells it that way, and she calls, she pronounces it Yana. So Yana. I, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. Um, also, Lindsay with an A Y, not an E Y, mm -hmm. and Hewlett. Hewlett. Thanks so much for joining us. If you would like to support the podcast, join the Order of Freaks and get ad-free episodes and lots of other things like monthly Zoom meetings and things like that, go to our website, theboxofoddities.com. Click the support the podcast link. 
And we'll see you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you. And its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you. To provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2022. All rights reserved. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. Hello everyone, Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be.